Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm talking today once more with my good friend, Melissa Rucknick in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, If you've been following the series, you may have heard our first conversation almost a year ago now. Um, And if you're not, if you're new to to Melissa's work, um, she is working really in the space of communication very broadly, uh, saying that, um, you know, increasing people's ability to communicate effectively both with themselves and with each other is going to help them in their work to help change the world for the better. Uh, She has a website, Communication for the Brave. Um, We'll give all the the links for that um, on the page when we publish. And she's also got a Facebook site called Travels with Misha, M-I-S-H-A. And we kind of left our last conversation several months ago with a tantalizing new project that Melissa was close to realizing but wasn't quite ready to describe yet. So I'm hoping... Melissa, that you can fill us in on on what you've been doing, and um, then we'll see where this goes. Hi, good morning, Eric. It's so great to be back and hear your voice and hear what's going on with you as well and all the work that you're doing. So thanks for doing this again. My pleasure and delight. So yeah, I think that um, when we spoke before, I was starting to, in a broad sense, start to really jump back into my long um, held interest for my entire life, raising my kids uh, with uh, plant-based medicine. And so I started getting involved more with actually making, um, I was actually doing an academic thing. So I was putting together some programs for the cannabis industry up here and learning about what was going on uh, with people in healing around cannabis and the very dynamics of of the plant properties, that sort of thing. And what that has led to is me very much getting back into uh, talking to people about the um, connection between ourselves and and healing and the planet and how we're how we're communicating not only with ourselves about that and each other um but how we're going about reconnecting to the plant world and and really looking for healing stress relief that sort of thing so that that was sort of the jump and at the time you'd said something about a nonprofit coming along side of that and you were really excited about what that might be able to do Yes, yeah, we're still, I'm looking at um, spinning something off eventually. I, I can't really um, address it yet, but it, it, it has to do with looking at an aspect of our culture that um, everyone knows about, and, and yet in North America, we still, and probably basically around the world in cities, we still are not quite sure how to deal with effectively. Um, so yeah, I'll talk about that next time. Um, hopefully we will have gotten a little bit further with what that's about. And the first aspect of this is to 
really run with what's going on with people um, and try to get a lot of workshops together and talks. And I've been asked to put together a women's workshop here. So we'll be doing that, a men's workshop um, to, you know, really sit with this idea of community and plant-based medicine. And I don't mean, you know, you know, necessarily the um, side of it where people are very intrigued about right now, which is ayahuasca and, you know, DHT and um, microdosing, which is very, very exciting. A lot of somatic therapists that I'm working with um, are working with that with people, especially people who are dealing with you know, chronic depression, um, you know, uh, drug abuse, that sort of thing to really kind of help them shift. So, it's really a matter of looking at the spectrum of what the earth can give us right now and how we give it back. And I know you and I talked about um, getting into that later on and the importance of cultivating um, our farms and around the world, you know, and, and helping them to be healthy too, so that it, they can help us. So when you, when you, I mean, you mentioned three, three, plant-based substances in a row <clears throat> you, you mentioned cannabis you mentioned ayahuasca and you mentioned microdosing which i've only come across in, in terms of psilocybin um so is this work primarily around what they would call entheogens or yes. does it go into sort of more traditional herbal healing as well that's a really good question. And yes, the answer is yes. And my focus is I am not an expert on the anthogens. That is the, some of the people that I work around that work with people like Gabor Mate um, very closely. Um, you may be aware of his work when it comes down to uh, working specifically with people who have pretty serious addictions. Um, that's kind of their area, but it also has started to become an area that I am more aware of. Um, even working with people who have, which basically is all of us, the same kind of thought patterns, which is my area of research, as you know, um, and uh, helping people to have different communication with themselves, because you would know this, that all of those entheogens have the properties as they found out to be able to unbind proteins from our neurostructure. So these thought processes that we all have that go back and forth and we have re these reoccurring thoughts, um, these entheogens have an ability to start to unwind and, and it's sort of like protein becomes the um, cast on this thought process in our, on our neurological threads. Um, and it can unwind that and disintegrate those proteins and start to make new neurological bonds, so new thought process uh, patterns for us. And that is so exciting, I can't even tell you. Um, and so one of the things that I'm very curious about and wanting to do some more research on is what are some of the other plants that are non-hallucinogenic, you know, that are herbal-based, you know, that could also help support this type of regeneration and, um, and sort of taking down the building blocks of those proteins of those old thought patterns that are often, as we spoke about last time, really negative um, things that we say to ourselves because the results they're finding from these studies that Gabor and a lot of other people are doing right now are mind blowing. And uh, so, I don't think, I mean, one of the things that came out of a workshop the other weekend with people that know a lot more about um, the antigen side of it, so the, you know, the microdosing and is that, you know, this is not something, it's not something that um, it's very important for people to take this type of work, especially when you get to that end of it quite seriously. Um, and for it to be guided by people who really do know what they're talking about, you know, naturopathic doctors, um, somatic therapists, MDs, people um, like Gabor Mate is working with who can really understand how to talk to people about it. Um, I know with Jenny Kundari, who I did the workshop with about three weeks ago or the talk with, you know, she very much talks about how, um, you know, she will have people who come to her very curious about 
um, that side of plant medicine work and uh, well oftentimes they're not quite ready they just don't have the tools yet to sort of work through um, that kind of more uh, intense experience and then one of the things we talked about in our talk was also the integration side of it so how you also how people process any kind of uh, whether it's a workshop about emotions, um, whether it's a vipassana, you know, something that that is very intense for someone, it's very important for them to have community afterwards and to work through um, the process with a group of people, whether it's online or whether it's in person or both, so that they can really integrate what is going on what they've learned into their lives because what we found and this is across the board with any kind of intense workshop whether it's a yoga retreat or is that people will come home and they all have the same reaction it's like this is this is really great i learned all this amazing stuff i felt i was really in this incredible space um, when I was with these people, whether it was in the Amazon or wherever it is. Um, and then I came home to my life and with the normal stressors that we're dealing with right now. And, um, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to work with it. So that's, that's a part that I'm very curious about helping with. And, um, and that's kind of the story around it. And I, I want my side of it is to spend a lot more time with the um you know the herbal um tincture side of it looking at uh with herbalists like the herbalist deb soul who i've been working with out in maine you know i've been taking courses from her um she's an incredible uh she runs an incredible biodynamic farm there and uh you know really understands all of this so yeah it's healing on all those aspects so let's let's kind of rein this in a little bit for people who might not quite see what you and I are seeing okay. um, in terms of the connection between regenerative work in general, uh, regenerative, mm -hmm. particularly land practices, but also community regeneration. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that as practitioners and even people just experiencing our chaotic world right now that there's this personal level of regeneration which needs to be made possible and how the plant medicine and the kind of the opening of the heart um, and maybe some clarity in, in, in connection and thinking that's just increased uh, how that feeds into the the overall task before this this time well it's a really good thing to hone in on and um, what comes to mind to me is one of uh, I built a Temescal this summer with some Toltec people, um, a shaman uh, group of people. We, this is exactly what we were um, looking into and focusing on was bringing people closer to um, the natural world, specifically to help them open up their hearts and, uh, and to really, you know, people, we all throw around these, these sort of phrases like um, loving ourselves and but doing it actually is um, it's a big thing uh, you know in our culture uh, in industrialized nations particularly I'm speaking of you know around the world most of us haven't since childhood really been taught how to um, really uh be able to sit in our hearts and and love ourselves you know there's been a lot of self-criticism with a lot of people since they were very young and so for me part of that and, and that's where i know a lot of this negative self-talk that we realize when we really get quiet um that, that we do is starting to to unwind that with people so that it's sort of like this spiral if people could visualize that into their heart. So they, if they can, un, when they're unwinding that kind of self-critical talk, they are spiraling into their heart. So they really are learning how to love themselves. And in terms of the work that many of us have chosen, um, I mean, I think, I think, I think, probably there's more people who are maybe have come to even to the into the to the podcast series because of its focused on regeneration um who would align with sort of an intentionality 
right? It's like, I want to do this. This is something I've chosen to do. This is something I want to know more about. I want to get better at it versus, you know, maybe the accidental regenerator. <laughs> yeah. um, which I, I'm convinced that, you know, <laughs> that that also is the possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, the, for people who've chosen to work either in community or on land or bringing the two together, and that, that we haven't actually quite said it as succinctly, although you did mention something about kind of loving yourself, but, but that, that self-care as part of a continuum of care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, you know, there's this kind of a lot of truisms around like you can't you can't really sort the world until you sort yourself or, you know, you, you need to be healthy in order to help heal and, and, and this sort of thing. But I'm also thinking about the drivers. Um, if you care about the land, if you care about what regenerative land practice, whether it be agriculture or forestry or watershed restoration, or even ocean work, um, might be able to enable, which is recovery of systems, recovery of living systems, recovery of biotic systems, um, but also those elements which are more human focused, such as food security or water security. That means your antennas are out and you're aware of the amazing amount of data that is just it, 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 like a tsunami of data that we're, we're, we're dealing with on a, on a continual 24-7 basis, too much of which is beyond negative. It's, it's, it's sort of like real tsunamis, you know? It's, it's, it's Im- impending and advancing c- catastrophic uh, change. Right. So... You know, how do we deal with that and continue to do things we're called to do and that we care about? And it sounds to me like some of the work you're exploring now in terms of the ways in which plant medicines can support people and particularly some of the, the, you know, the neuro uh, networking uh, remapping that that might be possible. um, Done in a way where there's intent uh you know not not just to be more effective at our work in in helping to create positive change Mm -hmm. but also in our work in terms of or to put a more passive word on it you know our response to the negative around us um to the aggression around us to the you know the fact that things are, are so much more polarized even in the one year the nine months since you and i spoke last it seems as if the, the level of at least evident polarization, it's gone exponential from where it was this time last year. Yeah, and so much yeah, of that yeah. is stress building, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's real. A lot of things are flowing through my, my head right now. One of the things that um, comes very clearly, you know, um, right now. And one of the things that I'd like to sort of speak about is that, you know, there's this real balance right now. I mean, A, we know so much because like you said, we are all connected. We can get on the computer and bang, we're, we're understanding everything that's going on in the world. So there's this real balance and understanding like the Buddhists talk about, about harnessing our mind. Um, And this does not mean that we turn off and don't know what's going on. But what it does mean is that we take pieces of what's going on in increments, um, depending on what's going on in our life. Um, If somebody is working with being really sad or even depressed, you know, to not take on maybe as much as they did before, but know that they will get back to that. So there's this real balance in understanding what it is we're going to be listening to. We really have to have to take control over that. And um, because if we just turn it on and listen to everything that's happening, you know, it, it is a lot of crazy making. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is that, you know, as the Toltec and, and, and some of these very ancient people that I've been working with, you know, that come from these very ancient cultures, um, 
have reminded me for 25 years that this is, they knew this was going to happen, um, that our civilization was going to come to a time where we were sort of like in a reckoning. Um, and we're in it. We're in it. And, 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 and I personally, I do not Pollyanna this at all with people because that doesn't help support them. But it is a time, we've always had a certain amount of reckoning. This is a very big reckoning because there was a lot of looking the other way um, um, when it came down to our own nurturing um, and to working with our planet. You know, we sort of stepped aside um, and focused on material and technical things for a little too long. And um, so now we're sort of reprocessing and those of us who are clear, which is more and more, and as we found out with what's going on with the climate, um, you know, what was going on with the climate, uh, you know, uh, protests and, and young people like Greta Thunberg, um, you know, we know, these young people know, it's like, we don't want to take on this planet um, without having you help us to turn this machine around. So we're, you know, the people that are aware, and I'm so glad the young people are really stomping their feet because it is time and we don't, we are, we need, we are running out of time. And, and so we need to really um, nurture ourselves is the way I look at it and be able to take care of ourselves so we can give these young people, um, you know, the type of energy that we're going to need to turn this machine around and to really help people focus on what we need to do to keep the planet um, and ourselves healthy. So there's that, that aspect of, our, of people where we need to sort of focus on our community and, and, and focus smaller, you know, um, and know that by doing that really well, whether it's your you know, the farms, the communal farms, the community farms in your area, um, you know, nurturing yourself with plant medicine, herbs, um, understanding how to really keep yourself healthy, and then be able to, at the same time, you know, it's not one or the other, but, you know, to be also be able to support these, um, the people that are trying to keep us healthy by, by growing healthy food. And, um, and so it's a matter of not hyperventilating about it, because if we do that, we'll send ourselves and our whole sympathetic and you know, system into the whole fight or flight thing. And that's, you know, we've been living, one of the things we talked about in this workshop the other day with a lot of young people in their 20s and 30s, you know, is that we all have been living, whether we're aware of it or not, in almost a constant fight or flight um situation because we're turning on our hormones and our biochemistry to be afraid a lot of the time and that's why we're seeing so many people getting sick and 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 you know re and and with mental illness and a lot of a lot of those aspects can be helped by just starting to create these communities and start to understand, like you use the word refuge, the importance of refuge, whether it's internal refuge or, or external by going to, you know, the wilderness or to the nature to have it feed us. There is a real communication there. And, uh, you know, we, we knew that, you know, a few hundred years ago and a thousand years ago and, you know, even more, because if we didn't listen to that, that communication, we wouldn't have survived. So, so there's, a, there's an element of this, which is, you could almost call the great remembering. <laughs> I love that. It <laughs> is. Yes. And, it, and it's in the literal sense of like, to the reverse of dismembering. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we're, we get to remember. We um, do. Um, it's interesting because the, I, I was on a call um, uh, if, with a different interview a couple of days ago with a, a, a really amazing Irish architect who's been doing most of his work in inner city uh, community. And it's, kind of more about using design process to help community reconfigure itself 
than what you imagine an architect would do. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, it seems like it's the same conversation in a sense in, in that you mentioned about sort of like being able to come back closer to home and sort of back smaller for a while. And what, what he and I were talking about was his work in helping individual communities basically find their power to yeah. to have have you know have a voice over their own process over their own space over their own uh you know future possibilities and i i just see this as as existing in some kind of a continuity yes for sure and you know it's interesting you brought architecture into the into the picture you know people um if they you look at the stats of what people are watching on on you know Netflix or, you know, people laugh about the fact that people are so connected to um, these house shows and these, these food shows. Well, why is that? It's because we all need this nurturing. This is what we've been lacking, right? This is what we used to do around the table at grandmother's house, right? And and be able to talk about these and nurture, you know, these foods that will feed us. And, and, um, and so people are craving right now um, all of this, which I see as a very, very good thing. And, and so it's a matter of now putting that into process into our own lives rather than just watching a show, but really understanding how to get off of our computers and really integrate that type of feeling that they like so much when they're watching that show into their own lives. And, um, and, and to make that step, um, you know, whether they're working with, um, you know, whether they need to just go out and work with a community-based farm. I visited a farm this summer of a young couple that our family knows. Um, you know, one of my daughters went through her permaculture training and a lot of these young people are out there on these farms, um, just like in that, that movie we talked about, The Biggest Little Farm, which is just beautifully done. Um, it, the cinematography is incredible, but he really, he and she both really speak to this concept and their hearts are really out there and they really understand that in order to turn this corner together on this planet, we have got to support these farms and these farms who are regenerating the soil and bringing back these nutrients into the soil so that our planet can heal. Um, And doing that and even going out and volunteering on a farm once a week or um, will bring such gladness, you know, to people Um, because getting your hands in that soil is the best cure for anything. And, and it's now even being medically and scientifically corroborated, yeah. which is which is fun. Um, it is fun. It's it's interesting though, you know, in 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 that time which has elapsed, uh, you know, it, it seems like it seems like decades have passed in the last several months in, 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 <laughs> term, in, in terms of like, you know the intensity of experience and that sort of thing. But coming back again to to uh, particularly youth driven movements um, mm-hmm. and thinking about how quickly Greta's Greta Thunberg's um, uh, you know uh, Fridays for Future and 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 the climate um, the climate marches and the Extinction Rebellion and um, uh, the sunrise movement in the states and and these things are coalescing and 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 you know literally mushrooming um, it seems to me that we have somehow matured as a, as a culture or society in a very interesting angle and that in itself is interesting because I know one of the things that Greta herself talks about a lot when well, for instance in her you know amazing talk in front of the United Nations in September, um, where she just, you know, one more time said, you are acting like you're not mature. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Isn't it interesting? And now you're forcing, have, yeah. the, you're forcing the children to show the maturity to actually deal with this. Um, so there, there's an interesting thing happening there. And there's an interesting thing I think that's happening in terms of the general conversation, which is now becoming 
more, it's not by, I think, I guess any means mainstream, although I'm not really sure what mainstream even means anymore. Um, it's spreading and that there are expectations built into this conversation, which previously would have been described as extreme. Mm -hmm. And now these expectations are being articulated as basic. Um, a lot of them challenge the system, which is, which is you know, the capitalist system. Um, but it's interesting in, in the fact that the, what is being called for in terms of the extent of change we need to now put into mm -hmm. place. I, I really believe that that, that ante has been raised a massive amount just in the last six months or so. And the intersectionality of that, the fact that the conversation is, is now fully embraced, the fact that if we don't have economic justice, if we don't have social justice, if we don't have you know, justice of equity, um, and intergenerational justice that we cannot achieve ecological balance. Uh, all of that to me is, is tremendously exciting and promising. Um, and yet, you know, the people who are driving the charge at this point are the ones who do not have the life experience yet to help them kind of calm down take a deep breath, get out of the amygdala, um, you know, get out of the fight or flight and, and take care of themselves. We're going to take a break now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa, who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M I N D A N D. M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise, where I'm speaking today with Melissa Rucknick from Communication for the Brave in Vancouver, Canada. It is coming together. It's interesting that you're um, creating that pathway between um, young people people saying that we're not mature. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the last, you know, 30 years of, or 40 years of people going through divorce and uh, so many couples divorcing and children having to deal with this, which a lot of the time the children are saying, listen, you need to grow up. Like we, we need to help, have help here. And, and I think that was sort of a, not every family, obviously, but you know a lot of families really struggled with being able to be there for their children the way we need to and and I think a lot of kids felt that that about their parents um at least the ones that have I you know spoken to so there's a real connection there with getting us prepared you know everything that is is challenging I believe has a reason if we see it and um, I believe that that could have been one of the reasons it was sort of getting us prepared to understand that, yes, we can be uh, 40, 50, 60 years old and not mature. And, and that means um, people who are not taking responsibility for themselves and for this world. And the kids are demanding it right now. And I think that it's, it's, it's really enlightening um, to see this happen. And so it is time to stand up with them and, and nurture ourselves in whatever way we need to, you know, um, in order to be mature and to be able to look at the world in a way that will help them to understand along with us how we are going to turn that curve right now. You know, I, when you were speaking, it just, it seems like you said, like sometimes time is a very interesting thing. And sometimes it feels like there are decades and a few months and, and it doesn't seem like that long ago that we, you know, finished the film, The End of Evolution, which we, you know, broadcast on Discovery Channel and, and, and Dr. Peter Ward, he was the first 
first one really to talk about this sixth extinction. Um, and one of the reasons, and I think we've spoken about this, that I stepped away from doing documentary film and really looking at how I was going to be able collaboratively to work with other people around being able to really shift um, how we're viewing the world and nurture ourselves more was because, you know, when people see something like that, that seems, even though we really did put some positive spin on it too, for people to understand where we need to go um, with our world, um, specifically with climate change um, or climate weirding, I like to call it, uh, you know, there needed to be more, there needed to be more. And so we've turned this corner that for me feels like it was 50 years ago when it was only 10 or 15 years ago when all that sort of started. And so I think that's a good thing because it feels like a lot, like you said, like there's been a lot of water over the dam around this. And we're really coming to grips with how to get on, um, you know, on this bandwagon and be able to really move this, um, process forward with being able to take care of ourselves and our planet in a much better way and, and like you said to get away from this sort of concept that our world is going to be okay if we just keep focusing on the material side and um you know creating more and more and more um things that really none of us really need and that certainly do not feed um learning how to love ourselves and, and in fact um really from going there because it's a distraction. You know, just like shopping. Uh, I shared with someone the other day to me, they said, well, what do you, you know, what does you and your, what do your family do like about shopping and buying things? And I said, well, you know, I mean, be minimalistic. I mean, we have fun. We try to shop in thrift shops because we know a lot of, um, you know, clothes go to the landfill. Um, but we know to have uh, fun with it, but we don't, we know the second that we're, you know, looking to buy a bunch of things that there's usually almost always something that we're needing inside, you know, something internally that we're not, um, we're, you know, not taking care of. It's a, it's a really important sign. Well, you know, something that just occurred to me for the first time, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, before you said that, um, is that there's a connection between a generation or three um, lacking maturity and the drug mm -hmm. of consumerism. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. you know, that actually could, you know, being addicted to or, or hypnotized by consumerism has probably prevented maturation. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a really great distraction. It's been yeah. an incredible, it's been a huge distraction. Um, and you know, who wants to look at their stuff, you know, really? I mean, none of us really want the mirrors turned on what we really need to look at. It's hard work, it's yeah. hard work. And, um, and, and I, I get it, you know, I, I get it. There are days where I would love to be able to just run off and be distracted and and there are times it's important to do that but if we're in that place of distraction all the time or a lot of the time which is what's happened you know you know things slip away and yeah there's a huge connection let's and, let's let's do a little shift here i don't know how many degrees that is but um <laughs> Let's do a slight shift back to something that we talked about just before we hit the record button and kind of bring it back maybe in the context of weaving together your work uh, with Indigenous peoples, the uh, raised expectations from coming, coming from movements like Extinction Rebellion and its intersectionality, working community, and the need for more feminine energy in leadership. Right, well, it's a good thing to come back to. Well, it's interesting you brought up the indigenous aspect and, you know, I have such um, incredible uh, respect uh, for the indigenous populations uh, here in North America, here in British Columbia and Canada. Um, I'm right now actually doing a course in indigenous studies and, and, and it's teaching me a lot about what happened, things that I didn't understand that happened 
um, which made sense to me. And, and one of the things that came up in this course was that um, why in Canada um, we worked along with the Indigenous people was mainly a climatic, uh, for climatic reasons. It was so cold up here that if we didn't work with them harmoniously, we would die. Um, the settlers, the people who came across this country, whereas in the United States, you know, there wasn't as much of that. So there was a lot more um, rivalry. And that was one of those aha moments. Um, so bringing it into the indigenous aspect and, and having such respect for them and having an indigenous person actually at my daughter's wedding um, a month ago, you know, remind me of this, that way back we're all indigenous. We all came from Gaelic or, or whatever cultures in, 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 in African countries. It's indigenous. It is the, it is the, it is the, people, it's going back to the people in our ancestry who were close to the earth, you know, who knew how to till that land and knew how to work with the planet. You know, now um, we, most of us are, most of our cultures have come so far, especially in North America with the people who settled this country and came into the country. I mean, it, but also took away, you know, things from the indigenous people here and but there's an aspect of that where we, we did work with them and are learning to work with them again in ways that is absolutely, I believe, inherent to our survival. Um, they have lived closer to their indigenous roots than any of us have stayed, or most of us have stayed. Um, and they have knowledge and wisdom, whether it's in South America or in North America, um, wherever it is in the world or in, or in Australia, that will help us to reconnect and, and to start to relearn, whether it's about plant and herbal healing um, uh, or about um, agriculture. You know, they have, they have wisdom there and are really, I think, hungry to work with, um, you know, with us and, and for us to support each other. I think it's just a whole new time of, of, of learning and, and, and paying great credence to the past, for sure, um, of wrongdoings and what's gone on um, and having huge respect for that, but moving forward quickly together, you know, um, so that we can make sure that we can rewind uh, some of our knowledge and learning and take it into the future here. I know David Suzuki's really been talking about this here and, um, you know, he's, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure his hopeful side of him, like Jane Goodall, you know, has a fair bit of hope about how we can start to really do this again. But I'm in her camp with that. I, I believe that, you know, we really can. I mean, on the West Coast here, you know, just seeing what's going on with our orcas and, and, and the fact that we don't have enough fish for them and that they're starving is, I, it woke a lot of people up this year. And, um, and, and that's okay. You know, we need to be woken up. We need to take care of them and ourselves so so bringing that back to feminine energy and leadership <laughs> oh, of course she would have said it's so true i mean uh, you know and 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 uh it's not that women are going to heal the world um on our own that is absolutely i mean we need men in the male energy we need all the different energy types but i think the feminine uh, side of the energy, you know, whether it comes from a woman or from a man, you know, that feminine aspect of really, um, really going into our hearts and really, really paying credence to wanting to keep our families safe and to really support these young people right now and our planet. Uh, that, you know, that's a, that's an incredibly important aspect of our society to to support right now and i think we're going to see a huge wave of women getting involved um, with politics and and men also with more feminine energy you know the energy to be able to that they've been able to open up to um, because how they were raised you know 
um, to be able to walk right alongside us and um, for us to work together um, very well. I see this very much in the work I'm doing with communication and, and uh, you know, the somatic therapists and all the plant-based medicine people, um, male and female. There's just a huge amount of feminine energy and it's very healing. So yeah, I, that, if people are really feeling down, um, to tap into that, you know, in their community and what's going on with that collaboration between men and women around the feminine. That's, that's a very exciting um, elixir for what's going on right now. And, and I think it will ultimately um, help us turn this corner together. It seems to me that sits really close to the heart of community regeneration. Uh, huge, huge. When you look at the, um, gosh, you know, some of the um, medicine people that I work with that, that have worked with people like the Toltec people for many years and, and having them talk about how women, um, you know, still, you know, in their communities in South America will give birth and, and immediately the, the women in the community are there and, and, and are taking the baby and breastfeeding the baby. And, you know, this is what it's about. You know, this is, it's not about doing these things on our own. You talk about postpartum depression and all these things that in the last hundred years or 200 years, you know, we've really started to see a lot of is because of that, that lack of community, you know, right down to when we give birth and, and the ability to, it's just not natural for a woman, for instance, to give birth and be isolated it's not a natural thing. So of course her body is going to respond or for a person to be injured and to be isolated or to not be helped. That's not a, that's not a normal response. Um, when you watch any um, animal from any other, other than human, you know, in any other animal kingdom, um, when like, for instance, when an elephant is injured, they all come around and try to help. Um, so the fact that human beings have sort of gotten off track with this internal and external communication around supporting each other is because we have isolated ourselves because we are so focused on the material. And so realizing that, I mean, you can take, I can take almost anybody when I was doing research, I could take almost anybody, even the most hardcore um, corporate person who had lived this life of totally focusing on what it is they needed. And I'm not just saying corporate people do that because that's not true, but anyone um, who's really been focused on the material world and you sit down with them and you ask them how they are um, and what's going on with them. And when you pull them into that place of their heart, and 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 how they're really doing in their life you will see this unraveling yeah it's just whether or not people take time um you know and there are always going to be people um i think you know um who are really insistent in this life at not looking um at any of that and and just wanting to be constantly um looking at the material world and not look at themselves or look at what's really happening. Um, but I think instead of focusing on that, it's focusing on the people who really are ready to unravel um, and, uh, you know, take part in this concept of focusing on what's important right now. Yeah, I think, you know, very, very commonly for me when I, when I look at some of the mania, um, that passes for leadership, for instance, in the world. Yeah. And, I, and I think about like in a healthy society, those people would be taken aside and, and given healing. They would not be yeah. put into positions of leadership. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, they, 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 there would be people who came and said, look, you know, you're kind of unbalanced right now. Like, let's, let's do something about that. <laughs> Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, in, in, in older matriarchal societies that function incredibly well, because often the women were the ones who, who sat around in, in community and, and, and sort of made the, the laws and, or the, the, you know, the sort of the 
outline of what the structure of a community should look like. And then the men would go and make it and help support it to happen. You're absolutely right. If somebody was creating a disturbance in a community, they would be sent out, happily go and say, look, you need to, you need to be healed. Yeah. How yeah, can we support you to do that? And the fact that we're propagating that kind of um, unhealthy behavior, whether it's Skyping or whether it's tweeting or whatever they're doing, you know, and, and, and the fact that we're, like you said, we're, we're actually putting these people in power that are quite unbalanced um, and are very focused on the material world, uh, you know, then, you know, we have to do what's the hard, the difficult thing. And that is, um, as all these elders have said to me, you know, it's making us look at ourselves. Why is it that we, yes, it's very uncomfortable, but why is it that we have put these people in those positions? What is it that's not well about our culture? And these kids know exactly what it is. We're disconnected and we're immature. Yeah, this comes right back to that. And that it's a nice full circle, really. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, who goes? It's like, you know, a thousand years ago. Look, I mean, if you look at it this way, it's like if we put ourselves a thousand years ago on the West Coast, um, if we were living in an indigenous culture on the West Coast with, um, or on the East Coast, the Ojibwe or in the Plains, we, if we stood at a riverbank or at the ocean with our fellow people and took um, a net in front of our entire, um, you know, our entire village and netted a hundred fish and insisted on keeping them for our family and not sharing it with the rest of the village. That's exactly what's happening right now and has been happening. You know, I mean, we're, we actually have propagated people and supported people to do that. And, and, you know, that's something that, as you said, you know, long time ago, or even in some of these indigenous cultures right now, you know, there's no way anyone's going to be allowed to do that. You don't go and take all the fish and leave other people to starve or be on the street. That's, that's not what humanity was set up to do. Hey, you know, you know, I mean, I'll share my fish with you, but you're going to have to give me, you're going to have to give me your house, or maybe you'll have to give me your child, or yeah. your cattle, or, you know, I mean, like, I caught these fish, so, you know, they're mine to dispose of, and if you want to eat, um, you know, you're going to have to yeah. come to what you want. Yeah, so no wonder people are having struggles with mental illness and yeah. feeling sad. And I mean, come on, if you're not, like we said before we started the interview, you know, then, you know, I mean, people are feeling these things because they, it's good that they're feeling it. It's just not good that they're feeling these things at such depth because we haven't, you know, quite gotten to the point where we're supporting them and our culture well enough. But um, you know, it's important that we know that something's wrong um, and that we do need to make these changes and we do need to support these kids um, who, you know, it's like they came out of the womb knowing, you know, that they came, you know, they got on the ground running saying, yeah, we don't want to be raised and it breaks my heart as a mother to hear any child um, say like they have in the climate, um, you know, in the climate discussions recently, that they don't want to have children. Yeah, because they're worried about bringing a child in the world. Now, this is something my daughters and I did discuss um, when they started talking about having children. But the thing is, is that, you know, I, I what I said to them was, look, you, we have a choice here, we can either lay down and just say, oh, well, that's what's going to happen. But I refuse to do that. I believe that we're in a time where we can really make this happen. And, uh, and we're being called. And I refuse to lay down and, and just say, oh, well, I want my children and grandchildren, I want my grandchildren to have a world where they can see these creatures. And we may go through the next 50 or 100 or 150 or 200 years 
where we're, you know, going to have to be in a serious state of healing, but that's okay. Um, and uh, I, I don't, I want them to have hope. I want them to see these projects that are so incredible around the world where they're rejuvenating uh, species and where they're bringing the land back and the soil back so we can have healthy food again that is, you know, magnesium rich and we don't have to take these supplements because we've sucked our soil dry. I mean, I want them to see those things and to know that we're working right there with them, that our hands are in the soil with them because guess what? That's the first thing that's going to take away sadness and depression and feeling um, upset about the world. It's just doing. And you, and you know, if, if it is a 200 year trajectory we're looking at for that and coming back to the first time you and I connected and talked about your work, one of the, the activities which will be essential to powering that will be the stories, right? It'll be the, it'll be the remembering, it'll be the continually telling of the stories of how bad it was, what's been fixed, who was involved, how we celebrate that, what's more to be done. You know, that sort of never letting that just sit aside to be forgotten again. In, in similar ways to, you know, the Hopis and the, the Diné people, their neighbors, um, and, and so many other indigenous societies have stories in their lexicon um, of, you know, their, their kind of oldest memories that they retell about a time when they themselves fell so out of balance that humanity was almost destroyed. Absolutely. You know, and, that they, and that they, they turned the corner, that they pulled themselves together and mm -hmm. they changed. And for that okay. reason, now they have, you know, they have a way of doing things. They have a way of thinking and interacting, which is to prevent that from happening again. That's right. I remember the last time we spoke, you asked me how I wanted to end the conversation. I asked people to do something, to, to be there for somebody, to reach out. And, um, you know, when we look back 10,000 years ago, you know, at the last serious ice age, when the ice caps were coming down into North America, our people, the people of this continent, the ancestors of this continent, um, you know, were faced for the first time uh, to, you know, of their own mortality, trying to get around those ice, that ice that was, you know, coming down into the continent again and, and making things so cold and their, you know, their ability to hunt and find their food. And so, yeah, absolutely. We've, we've been faced with this type of thing before. It's just that it, it was nature-based and now we're sort of mixing the nature-based natural big undulations of this planet as Dr. Peter Ward spoke about in the end of evolution in the documentary that by the way, is back up on the NFB site if anyone wants to see it um, and we're just adding to it you know and it's not just because we've added to it in such a big way by you know polluting the world and and doing things to the world that it's just created a massive you know a natural situation becoming much more intense so now detensifying by becoming mature and looking at what's happening with open eyes and not looking the other way and taking the hands of these young people and looking into their eyes and saying, you bet, I'm here. You know, I'm here and we're here and we're gonna walk through this and we're gonna, we're gonna turn it around and we're gonna, it's gonna take some time, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, face the other way and ignore this. That's what's so important. I think that's an absolutely perfect point to end. <laughs> we've done our hour. <laughs> and I it, love it. I, I really like how, how that landed. Um, thanks so much for taking time to talk. Thank you, Eric. Have an amazing day. And thank you, everybody, for looking into uh, the world and, you know, being doers, facing the wind with us. Have a good day. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. 
Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.